Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Genesis 40, 41, strengthening the soul. Before we get into that, I want to just give a little bit of an introduction. Um, I was gone last week, and, and uh, our elder John did a wonderful job. I listened to you, John, and I graded it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, he did a wonderful <laughs> job teaching. I hope you guys were encouraged last week. But if you recall the story of Joseph's life, if you've ever been to Sunday school, or maybe you've read the story before in the book of Genesis, do you recall that uh, Joseph had some dreams, right? He had a couple dreams. The dreams were like, uh, it was obvious to his brothers, and in fact it was obvious to his father, that the dreams were that his brothers and his father and his mother were going to bow down to worship him. And he was the runt of the family, second to the youngest. And uh, in fact, I don't even think uh, Benjamin was, well, he might have been born at that time. But in anyways, um, he was hated by his brothers, not only because of the dreams, but as we looked at before, Jacob favored Joseph over all his other children. And so, and he had given him a, a robe of many colors, you know, and, 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 uh, and so it was a robe that signified leadership and, and someone who didn't have to work. And so his brothers, man, they're toiling out, they're taking care of his father's flocks, and man, they just resented and hated Joseph. And, uh, but Joseph, he faithfully executed his father's commands. He was a good son. He wasn't, you know, when they, when they, were, when they were goofing off and messing up, and he would tell his dad, hey, this is what's happening. We would call that a tattletale, right? Well, anyways, in the Bible, it's just, it just doesn't call him that. But, but you know, that's, he was just a good guy honest person. And he faithfully executed his father's commands. Remember, his father wanted him to go and find out where the sons were. He had heard that they had gone up to uh, Shechem, where that wasn't a, a, bad stuff had happened in Shechem earlier. Um, and so uh, Joseph faithfully went up there. And he found his brothers, not at Shechem, but up in Dothan, north of that. And they saw him coming, and their, that hatred just welled up. And they ended up throwing him in a dry well. And, and then at that point, they decided to sell him to the Midianite traders that were passing through. They were right on a trade route. They were passing through. They, want, they sold him as a slave to these traders. And the slaves went ahead and brought him into Egypt and sold him as a slave to a guy by the name of Potiphar, who was a captain of Pharaoh's guard. He was an executioner, captain of the executioners. It was like a secret service guy. And anyways, but in Genesis 39, verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord had made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. So Joseph, just he prospered in this situation. And then it ends, it says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And at that point, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And uh, Joseph did what anyone should do when they're being tempted with sexual immorality. The first thing he did was he said no. That's a, that's a novel concept, right? Saying no, that's what he did. Um, and he said, how can I sin against Potiphar? How can I sin against my master? He's entrusted me with everything except for you. And then he also said, how can I sin against the Lord? Because that's an important thing to remember, right? 
And then he did what we should all do. He stays away from her. And, uh, and he flees. At the last point, she, she tries to catch him in a, in a time when he's alone, and, and he ends up fleeing from her while he gets falsely accused of rape anyways. And Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard, the chief executioner, it's interesting, he doesn't execute Joseph. So there must have been he must have knew something about Joseph's character. Maybe he didn't trust his wife, whatever. But he has to save face, you know, because it's in front of all his servants that this thing happened, and so he has him thrown into prison. And uh, then later on in Genesis 39, verse 21, it says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. So the Lord was showing Joseph mercy. Now, my idea of mercy, and maybe it's your idea too, would be, like, get me out of prison. <laughs> you know, I want to get out. I mean, that would be my idea. If, Lord, if you're going to help me, get me out of this situation. But you see, there's a purpose, even in Joseph's present difficulty. Now, you and I have luxury, right? We, ha- we can go, we can turn a few chapters later on, and we can find out what the rest of the story is. We know the rest of the story. But imagine Joseph... He's right there in the midst of it. He doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. He doesn't know it's the end of the story. All he knows is he's here in prison. He's had these dreams. They haven't been fulfilled. And there he is as a slave in uh, Egypt. Now, Joseph was 17 years old when he was first sold into slavery. And about 11 years have passed now. And he's about 28 years old when we get to chapter 40 which is where we're going to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, chapter 40, verse 1. It says, It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king offended their lord, the king of Egypt. The butler would be like your food or wine taster. You know, he would be the one that would uh, uh, taste whatever the pharaoh was going to eat and you know if he died then it's like okay pharaoh don't eat that you know or if he got indigestion whatever it, it was to make sure that pharaoh didn't get poisoned and so that was his job to food to taste the stuff before the baker well i guess he was just a baker if anyone's here just a baker i don't mean it that way okay he was a baker wow. um and uh, there's no butcher and candle maker in this story but anyways so we have a butler and a baker but anyways they somehow offended pharaoh And so they get thrown into jail. Verse 2, it says, And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, so they were were in custody for a while. Verse 5, Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison had a dream. Both of them, each man's dream in one night and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. This is significant because if you think about it, Joseph has every reason to be sad and depressed himself, right? I mean, he's been mistreated for so many years. He's a slave there. Um, he had, of anybody, he could just be like, just, you know, moping. Woe is me. And uh, instead of being self-absorbed with his own problems, he notices the countenance of these two guys. He notices that they're sad. 
And so that's a very interesting thing. Sometimes when you and I are in a, you know, we're going through a trial, we're going through a difficulty, that's all we can see. It's, you know, it's just like, boom, it's right there in front of us. And we miss out opportunities to minister because we're so focused on our problem, we never see that there's people around us that have problems as well. And so Joseph here, he's looking, he goes, man, these guys are bummed out. Now, you know, one thing that the Lord's been teaching me, life is a journey. Maybe this is not a new revelation to any of you, but, you know, sometimes we have these destinations in mind. Maybe if you're a student, your destination is graduation or your career or, or maybe financial stability is your destination in life. I'm going to work and I'm going to struggle, and that's all you're focusing on. Or, or maybe nowadays, maybe how many friends you have in Facebook. You know, I've got 600 friends now or whatever, you know. Or, or if you're, you know, young family, your marriage or your children, your grandchildren, you have these destinations in mind. And I can imagine Joseph had a destination. His destination was get out of prison, get out of here, go back to Hebron. Man, I want to be free. And maybe that was the only thing he could focus on. What's your and my destination? Well, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus this morning, you know what Paul says in uh, Philippians 3, verse 14. He says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Heaven's our destination, right? This earth isn't our home. Sometimes we lose focus of that. Heaven is our destination. Being in the presence of the Lord, that's our ultimate goal. That's our ultimate destination. And I love this verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You probably could quote it back to me. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You wouldn't imagine how many times I go back to that verse. I'm going through something like, okay, I know even this is something that God's going to work in my life together for good because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. And I cling to that verse. But you know the next verse, Romans 8.29, is equally important. Romans 8.29 says, um, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, the thing is, God uses events in our life's journey to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. God is conforming us to the image of his son, and it's in order to prepare us for that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So these things that we go on, that go on in our life, it's preparation. God's doing a work in us through whatever we're going through. And so Joseph there, he's in this prison. He sees the sad countenance of these two officers of Pharaoh's court that were in his care. In verse 7 it says, So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We each have had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it, So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. You notice what Joseph didn't say. Oh, dreams, shreams, ove. You know, I could tell you about some dreams. I've had some dreams, and they never came true. You know, he he could have like, Don't tell me about your dreams, man. I've had a couple dreams. Nothing ever came of it. He didn't say that. These guys, obviously... They were really depressed. They, they couldn't get those dreams interpreted. They had bothered them. They didn't know what to do. What do you do or what do you say when someone you're confronted with is going through a difficulty or has a problem that, you know, it's just an overwhelming thing? What do you say? What do you do? Well, you do what Joseph did. 
You point them to God. He says, don't interpretations belong to God? You know, sometimes we get scared when someone comes up and you, you, they, they tell you about something terrible that's going on in your life. And as a pastor, I mean, that's, you know, it's, sometimes I get this, okay, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to have the answers for any problem that anybody has. So if somebody says something, I'm like, okay, well, let me take you to this scripture. Let me share this. Let me, you know, uh, educate you, whatever. Sometimes I'm, I'm like, Lord, help me. I don't know what to say to this person. And maybe you've been in that kind of a situation before. What do you say? You know, you may not be able to help them personally. Maybe you can't even answer why to their questions. But there's one thing you can do. You can point them to those to him who has the answer. You can point them to God, just like Joseph did. Teresa and I, last week, we were in Missouri. We went down there for a pastor's conference. And uh, while we were there, we met this couple. We became friends with them. And uh, it turned out that Teresa, my wife, and his wife, um, they both are rock hounds. They love rocks, you know, digging up rocks and, you know, polishing them and doing all this stuff. And so there was this mutual interest. And so at the end of the conference, we were, we were in our uh, motel room getting, you know, we were getting ready to, to uh, well, the conference was over. We were, you know, what are we going to do? I get this text from the gentleman. He says, my wife's got some rocks he wants to give your wife. Can you come over to our house? Gave us the directions. We went over there, um, started talking about rocks and looked at their house and stuff. They had to go, man, have you guys had supper yet? No, we haven't had supper. Let's take you out to eat. So they took us out to a restaurant. It was a great time. Uh, and then as we were leaving, the four of us, we just prayed in their driveway. And I remember the prayer of, of the gentleman. He's like, he prayed that we would have a divine appointment. And I didn't, you know, I, I pray that when I'm praying too. I didn't think anything about it. The next morning, we got up and we're heading back to Rochester. But we decided she had given uh, us directions to where they've looked for rocks along this river. So we went out in the boonies. In fact, we were, uh, we're driving. You know, we got the map on our, on our phone and, or on our car. And we're driving, and, I, and we get into this dirt road, this little cornfield. It looks like an end drive or field drive. You know, I'm like, I don't think that's the road. And I, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I don't know what's going to happen. You know? So we ended up taking it. We ended up at this, at this river. And it uh, turned out it was an actual road there in Missouri. Um, but we get there, and we're in this parking lot, and uh, there's stairs that go down to the river. And so in the parking lot, there's another truck across from us. And as we were getting out and we're getting ready to cross to go down to this river, this, this girl with this puppy comes up, up, up the stairs from the river. And this puppy just runs straight across the parking lot to us. And uh, so we're petting the dog, and then the girl comes up, and we started talking to her and, and uh, you know, asking her about the river and stuff like that. At one point we said, I think it was myself or maybe Teresa said, were you fishing here? And she said, no. She said, I just, I just had to get away and be quiet. She says, my mom died a week ago, and I just, I just needed to be alone. And, and uh, at that point we're like, wow, what do you say? And uh, so we were talking a little bit, and I said, you know, I'm a pastor. I said, can I pray for you? She said, Yeah. So we prayed, and, and, and we prayed, you know, that the Lord would, would comfort her, that the Lord would reveal himself to her. And, and, uh, and anyway, so we got done talking, and then it got done praying, and then, and then we said, you know, do you have any family or anything? And she said, no, I'm estranged from my family. And she said, you know, uh, they have different faith than I do. So I, I don't know what that meant. I didn't really, you know, dig into it. But Teresa gave her a big hug, and we said, man, we're going to be praying for you. Her name's Stephanie. So if you think about her, stay, pray for her salvation. Pray for her. So, you know, that was a divine opportunity. And at that point, you know, what do you say to someone like that? You just take them to God. Just bring them to God. Man, can I pray with you? We can all do that as believers. You don't have to have the answers to everything. But we know who has the answers, right? So we can point them to them. 
So this is what Joseph does. Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell them to me, please. Verse 9. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hands. Verse 12. And Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon." Do you sense Joseph's, what his emotions are right now? Man, I don't belong here. Get me out of here. That's a normal response any of us have when we're going through a trial or a difficulty. We want to get out of it, right? That's the first thing we want to do. Joseph's no different. He's just like you and I. He wants to get out of that prison, just like any of us would have also felt that way. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, He dealt with physical suffering. And he had what he described as a thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 and 8. It says, And lest I should be exalted above measure, by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Paul did not want to, he wanted that thorn in the flesh to be removed. Well, Joseph's no different here. He says, remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. You can imagine the baker, you know, the, the, uh, the uh, butler, I mean, he's already three days. Man, think you're going to be restored. I mean, it's awesome. Um, the baker's probably thinking, okay, he's listening, and, and Joseph says, Well, those baskets are three days. He's like, All right. Keep coming, keep it coming, right? Uh, But then verse 19, within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Can you imagine? He'd probably be like, wait a minute, uh, can you go back and make sure that's the right dream, you know? Maybe that was for him and not for me, you know? Listen, if you and I are God's spokespersons, and sometimes we're in situations where we are God's representative, it's not just a pastor or in a ministry leader, but sometimes you and I are in a situation where we're God's spokesperson to someone. We have to speak the truth in love. There's no emotions described here, but having getting a glimpse into Joseph's heart and mind, I can only imagine, he didn't just say it like glibly, like, well, you know, your head's going to be taken off. You know, it probably broke his heart to share that with them. But he had to share it because that was the truth that God had revealed to him. 
Sometimes we have to speak the truth to people, and it's not a pleasant thing sometimes. But we're also to speak in love, right, in compassion. And that's what Joseph, I can just sense that he probably was compassionate. Maybe he's even saying it with regret. regret. Verse 20, Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. You know, that's just a natural thing that happens with people. Prosperity can cause people to forget. I like what this proverb says, Proverbs uh, 30, verses 8 and 9. It says, remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, verse 9, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Prosperity can cause people to forget. So here, the butler, he's restored to his, his position, very, very prominent position in Pharaoh's house. Always next to Pharaoh, eating the same food that Pharaoh's eating. And, uh, and so, good situation, but he forgot about Joseph. And meanwhile, Joseph, you know, he's waiting. And he's probably thinking, okay, the first day's passed. All right, you know, you know how bureaucracy takes. Maybe, maybe it's taken, you know, Pharaoh a little while to figure out who I am and figure out what, why I'm in here and stuff. And, and, and so, a couple days pass. That's all right. We'll, we'll, we'll keep waiting. And then turns into a week. Well, you know, Egyptian red ink, you know, there's probably some red ink or something on the papyrus, you know. Then pretty soon it's weeks. And then a month rolls by. Nothing happens. Month turns into multiple months. Months pass by. And finally we get to chapter 41. Two full years pass by. And Joseph's just sitting there in a jail cell. Forgotten. I think you and I can all relate to Joseph, maybe in some way or in some extent. You know, our freedoms maybe are limited. Maybe we're not in a jail, but we're, 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 we feel like we're just stuck in some kind of a situation. And maybe you've been doing the right thing. Joseph didn't do anything wrong, but nothing but troubles have been happening. And maybe you feel the same way. Or maybe you've tried to help someone, and they've totally misunderstood you and falsely accused you of evil. Well, two full years elapsed for Joseph. Nothing's changed. And again, we know the end of the story. So you have to ask yourself, was that, was that wasted time? Why, why did Joseph have to, to linger in a jail forgotten for two years? I'm going to say something that I think is maybe kind of radical, but I think God caused the butler to forget. I think God caused the butler to forget. Think about this. What would have happened if the butler had remembered Joseph that very day, and if Joseph had been released by Pharaoh, what would he have done? I imagine he probably would have gone back to Hebron to find his father. And if he had had done that, God would not have been able to use Joseph in the way that he intended to two years later. But why did God need to wait two full years? You know, we're going to get into the story. You guys probably know that Pharaoh's going to have a dream. And it's going to be it's going to work out in, in Joseph's you know, towards Joseph's favor. Why did God have to wait two years? Why couldn't why couldn't Pharaoh the next day have had a dream? Why couldn't God have sped up the process? 
I want to take you to Psalm 105. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Psalm 105, verse 16. Psalm 105, 16 says, Moreover, he called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. But I want to draw your attention to Psalm 105, verse 18. Verse 18. And this is the Young's literal translation. It says, They have afflicted with fetters his feet. Iron hath entered his soul. That's a little bit of a different interpretation. Iron hath entered his soul. Verse 19. Till the coming of his word, the saying of Jehovah, hath tried him. Those two years were probably the most trying time of Joseph's life. Think about it. Not only was he still imprisoned, seemingly forgotten, but he's left alone with his thoughts, his emotions, those dreams that he had. What what was the story of those dreams? Why am I here? Again, we know the end of the story, but you see, God was using this time to refine Joseph. God was using suffering to strengthen Joseph. There's a guy in the Bible that suffered probably more than any one of us ever will, besides Jesus. His name was Job. And Job knew a lot about suffering. And he probably, I think what he describes here in Job 23, verse 8 through 10, is probably how Joseph felt. And it's probably how you have felt sometimes. Look at this. Job 23, verse 8. Look, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. Verse 9, when he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. Verse 10, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. We felt that before, haven't we? It's like, God, where are you? I'm looking over here. You're not there. I'm I'm, I'm in this situation, Lord, and I'm crying out, where are you, Lord God? I don't see you in this. I can't see anything in you. What the thing is, God's always working. Even when we can't see him, he's working. Joseph's time there, those two years, were not wasted. See, the reality is that Joseph wasn't ready for that work that God wanted to do through Joseph until one night. Look at Genesis chapter 41, verse 1. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the, ri- by the river. Suddenly there came out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the, fine, the seven fine-looking and fat cows, so Pharaoh awoke. Verse 5. He slept and dreamt a second dream. And suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. 
When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. Now, what we know about Egyptian culture, in those days, the Egyptian men were clean-shaven. And Joseph probably had been clean-shaven when he's a slave in Potiphar's house. But over time in this jail, I'm sure they weren't worried about haircuts and you know manicures and things like that. He had probably scraggly beard, long hair, stinky clothing. I don't think they wash clothes when you're in a prison in Egypt in those days. So he probably stank. He probably looked really shabby. And you're going to set him before the leader of Egypt? So obviously they're going to change his clothes. They're going to shave him. They're going to make him presentable. Verse 15. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh and said, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. I love that in, in, in Joseph's heart. And he doesn't take that glory onto himself. He acknowledges that it comes from the Lord. Verse 17, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. Also in my dream, and so, also I saw in my dream, suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good. Then behold, seven heads withered, thin and blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following it, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice, because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. That's a biblical principle. The Bible says, By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. 
So when you're reading the Word and, and, and you're reading Jesus' words in the Bible and He says, truly, truly, or if a different translation, verily, verily, it means whatever I'm saying, it's going to happen. You have God's Word. It's established. It's interesting. Joseph had two dreams, right? He had the dream of the stalks of wheat bowing down. He had the dream of the sun, moon, and stars bowing down, which meant what God had purposed to do in Joseph's life was established by God, and God would shortly bring it to pass. The thing is, God's timing and our timing, sometimes they're not the same. Now Joseph goes beyond simply interpreting the dream, which if we were to look at the gifts of the Spirit, that would be a word of knowledge, or maybe a word of prophecy, right? Seven years, you're gonna, we're going to have seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. But he goes beyond that now, And I believe this is a gift of the word of wisdom given by God. Verse 33. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let let him appoint seven officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall, shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. Verse 38, And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? You know, through that refining process that God was doing in Joseph's life, God's using that time, he's burning away any any carnal carnality in Joseph's heart. It's allowing the Spirit of God to be revealed in Joseph. I want to share this with you because sometimes we talk with people, or maybe you've been someone who's gone through a trial, a fire of trial. And you know, simply enduring a difficulty or or a trial, that's not what refines you. Because I've known people that have come, on, come out the other side of some trial and they're more angry, they're more bitter, they're vengeful, they're selfish, whatever it is. Trials alone don't refine you. Trials only refine you as you surrender to the Lord. That's the only way that they refine you. How do we surrender to the Lord in a trial? What does that look like? Psalm 37 verse 5 says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Verse 6 says, He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Verse 7, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Verse 8, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. What do we do? How do we surrender to the Lord in a trial? Commit yourself to the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for the Lord. And stop being angry. Stop being angry about it. Don't fret. Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 4.19, Therefore, that those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good, as to a faithful creator. He's a faithful creator. You can commit whatever you're going through to him. He doesn't hate you. He's not out to destroy you. He loves you. 
Verse 39, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne I will be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen, and he put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried out before him, Bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his foot, uh, hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Consider God's timing for a moment. Two full years pass. He's forgotten. Nothing's happening. He, does, he can't see God working. He, there, there's, there's no signs of anything that's going on. And that morning, Joseph woke up just like he woke up every other morning those past two years, a prisoner, seemingly forgotten by the Lord, seemingly forgotten by everyone, I should say, except the Lord. God knew exactly where Joseph was. Listen, he woke up that morning a prisoner. He went to bed that night, the second highest ruler in the, king of, uh, in the kingdom of Egypt. Can you imagine that? One day. You see, with God, nothing's impossible. Nothing. Verse 45. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name, Zaphnath-Paneah. What a name. <laughs> and he gave him as his wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Now, it's, might, you might struggle with this, like, okay, wait a minute. This Asenath is the daughter of a pagan priest. You know, why, why is this taking place? Listen, Potiphar, or excuse me, not Potiphar, Pharaoh is a pagan, okay? He's not a worshiper of the Lord God. It's his highest honor and sign of affection that Pharaoh could bestow on Joseph, this, this marriage to this priest. And Joseph obviously accepted that gracefully. Verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh, went throughout all the land of Egypt. See, 13 years had elapsed since Joseph was sold into slavery in the land of Egypt. How many years prior to that had he received those dreams? How long of that, that whole stretch between when he received the dream till the time that it was fulfilled? Again, God's timing was not Joseph's timing, but it was perfect timing for Joseph. Think about what else about this. This time, this all this time, not only in prison, but during his time as a slave in Potiphar's house. You know, he didn't speak Egyptian. He probably knew nothing about Egyptian culture. But Joseph's he's immersed into this culture. He learned the culture, the customs of Egypt. He learned how to do business as a steward of Potiphar's wealth and affairs. He saw and experienced Egyptian culture from the lowest. You can't get much lower than a prisoner in Egypt to the highest, second to Pharaoh. That makes a good leader. Somebody who knows what it's like to be down there and knows what they know both ends of the spectrum because they can relate to anybody. They can have compassion on anybody. 
Joseph was faithful in small things, and he proved faithful, and now he's going to be over an entire kingdom. None of this would have happened if he had not endured those years of suffering. None of that would have happened. You see, God's master plan was to use Joseph to preserve the children of Israel. We'll get to that later. And also, ultimately, to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. We wouldn't even be here today if Joseph hadn't remained in that prison for those years. We wouldn't even be here today. Verse 47. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. Excuse me. Verse 48, so he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. I mean, Joseph, you know, the the Egyptians were known for meticulous record keeping, but they, they they got so much, they finally had to just stop. You know, it's like, there's too much to count. Verse 50. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, who Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, not Potiphar, but Potipharah, priest of own, bore to him. Verse 51. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. 52. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. It's interesting here. Joseph did not give his sons Egyptian names. He gave them Hebrew names. He hadn't, he hadn't given up on God. He hadn't walked away from his faith. And so he names them Hebrew names. Manasseh. God has caused me, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. In other words, God has made me forget all my suffering. You women who've gone through childbirth, you know that, you know, there's that, there's that intense time of suffering, you know, when you're going through labor. It's not, not fun, and it's, 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 it's all-consuming. But then when that baby's born, it's like you just forget about all that pain you went through because, man, look at this, this gift of life that God's blessed us with. God has made me forget all my suffering, Manasseh. Ephraim, God has made me fruitful in the midst of my suffering. Can you be fruitful in the midst of whatever trial you're going through this morning? Whatever situation you got going on in your life, can you be fruitful like Joseph? I think you can. Verse 53 Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. Then the famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all lands. God refined Joseph through suffering, and Joseph was able to be fruitful in the midst of his suffering. Iron had entered his soul. His soul was strengthened through suffering. I don't like to suffer. I'm sure none of us like to suffer. But if we commit ourselves to God, if we trust in him, God can use that in our lives to strengthen us. 
This is interesting. Notice when Joseph was released from prison and made second highest ruler in all the land of Egypt. You know what I would have done? Where's that woman (laughs) that accused me of rape? (laughs) I'm going to teach her a lesson. Where's Potiphar who threw me into prison? I'm going to send an army down to Hebron to find those bum brothers of mine. He wasn't vengeful at all. He had learned patience. Uh, He wasn't vengeful, okay? But also, he learned patience. And he learned it through waiting. You know, I got to tell you guys, there's no patience app that you can get. That's going to, you know, if I get this app, I've got patience. Look, it's on my, you know, I got it. I got my patience app. You can't find a book. Well, maybe you can. Patience for Dummies. You know, that would be for me, right? Patience for Dummies. You can't read a book about patience and get patience. You know, the only way you learn patience is through having to be patient, going through a trial, going through a difficulty, and through that, allowing the Lord to burn away whatever's not of Him in you. Not only that, but Joseph had peace in his soul. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind, <clears throat> excuse me, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You know, it's curious to me, Joseph didn't go and leave Egypt to go tell his father, hey, Dad, I'm alive. And look it, I'm second highest in the, in the land of, of Egypt. Wouldn't you have done that? I would have done that. It's like, why didn't he do that? And I think with the reason why is Joseph had learned, because iron had entered his soul, God had strengthened him, he learned to trust in God's timing. And he knew in God's timing that eventually God would, would, those dreams would come true. His brothers, his father would come and bow down before him, just as God, but it, but it was in God's timing. And Joseph's now, at a, man, now a man who's in perfect peace. is like, God, I, I'm not going to get the cart before the horse. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to let you lead me. He gained the precious gift that all of us need, the the gift of contentment. That's such an important thing. Being content in whatever circumstances the Lord allows in our lives. But not only being content, but being fruitful wherever we're planted. Again, maybe this morning you can identify with Joseph in some way or to some extent. And maybe you'll tell me something like, wow, that's pretty heavy, you know. I may not have an answer for you this morning. And I may not be able to say how long you're going to be going through this thing. In fact, I can't say that. The only thing I can do is point you to the Lord this morning. Luke, why don't you come on out of the worship team, whoever's coming up for worship. Luke's, we're going to finish up our service here. And uh, Luke's, they're going to lead us in a couple worship songs. And I want to just reflect. Maybe you're going through a difficult time this morning. I always I believe in divine appointments. I don't I don't believe in coincidences. I believe God brings people together and, and, and he speaks to us at certain times in certain ways. And maybe the Lord's been speaking to you this morning. And uh, after our second after our first worship song, the the last one, there's gonna be a couple people in the back that are gonna be available for prayer. And if you're going through a difficulty, they're gonna point you to the Lord. They're gonna pray with you. They love to pray with you. And so if you have something, and maybe it's not even that, but you need prayer for something. Maybe you need to, to rededicate your life to the Lord, or maybe you just want a relationship with Jesus. You've never had a relationship with Jesus. They'll pray with you to receive Christ. Don't leave here having been not impacted by this morning, meeting with the Lord this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.
Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I, I'm the first person to say I, I hate suffering. I hate trials. I hate having to wait. I hate it when I can't see what you're doing in my life. But Lord, I know that you're a faithful creator. And I can entrust myself with you and to you. And I, lo- I know, Lord, that you are working in our lives, each one of us. And Lord, the ultimate goal is heaven. But Lord, you want to conform us. You want to, you want to do that work in our, in our lives now through those trials to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray for each one of us this morning that we would allow you to do that work in our lives instead of fighting you and instead of grumbling and complaining and, and always trying to look for the exit door. Lord, that we would, we would submit to a faithful creator. We thank you that we can do that, Lord God, that you have proven yourself faithful over and over and over again. We love you, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.